Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen that's what I like about these movie podcasts, man. I keep watching movies, and they keep on talking about them. It's uh, Mike and Mike go to the movies. Uh, my name is Mike Smith, and joining me, as always, is a man who asked that uh, when I bring him out, can I introduce him before I throw him into the bog of eternal stench? <laughs> Mike Tricio. How are you doing today, Mike? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Those are, I'm, you know, those are good ones. I'm proud of you, Thank Mike. You. Those yeah, are I, excellent I feel intros. Like they, they weren't as elaborate as some of the intros that I've done in recent uh, weeks and months. But you know what? Sometimes, uh, sometimes a quick one is all you need. Yeah, less is more. You know <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah, what's what's uh, how you doing, Mike? How's how's life? Uh, you know, speaking of less is more, I'm less employed uh, now, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, so doing okay. You know, I mean, we'll see. The company I work at uh, was acquired by the company I left last year to come to this one. Uh, so I'm choosing to take that personally by the CEO. Yes. Um, but um, yeah, I uh, we're it's unsure yet. Uh, we should I should know in a couple days whether or not I'll be getting a permanent <laughs> position or whether or not I'll uh, have like a cutoff date and severance and stuff. And you know, at right. this point, I just I. Just just want it to be over so i'm yeah. ready i you know i left that company for a reason last year uh so i'll take i'll take severance i guess is what i'm saying yeah i, I i'm pic- i'm picturing the ceo like uh dr claw for inspector gadget like with <laughs> <laughs> like yes. with just like you, you only see his chair in like one hand and he's like i'll get you decretio yeah. and your little job too uh. <laughs> just George Steinbrenner from Seinfeld you only ever see the back of his head uh, exactly yeah it's basically probably what it is um, so it would be fun to be uh, searching for a job amidst uh, economic collapse and a global pandemic Can yeah that's uh, that's always a good time uh, I assume I haven't uh, luckily I haven't had to deal, that, deal with that yet but I know it's been uh, rough on a lot of people so yeah that's that sucks man I am sorry to hear that um, thanks but, you know, hope, hopefully it gives you more time to watch movies. You'll, you'll, you'll be your discussions are going to be fucking crazy these next few weeks. I'm <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have so gonna much have stuff. <laughs> 25 movies coming up. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so that's what we're doing this week. We're doing some, uh, discussions, just one of our extra quarantine watch bonus episodes. Uh, all the theme songs you're going to hear this episode were created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own theme songs at Kyle's podcast themes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. Uh, if you ever want to contact us, respond to something we did in the show, you can email us over at Mike Mike go to the movies at gmail.com. So I think uh, we've both got a lot of stuff to talk about today, Mike, or at least I do. And you've got some stuff that you're going to pepper in there uh, (laughs) as well. Uh, So let's get right into it. It's time for our discussions. Watch this. These are my discussions. Just when I thought I said all I could say, my buddy and I talk about movies we see. These are my discussions. There is so much to see, you and me. So we're going to talk about movies for our discussions. All right, it's time for my uh, discussions, or our discussions, really, for <laughs> for the podcast. It'll uh, feel Freudian, like your discussions. Freudian slip. It's not just my discussions. It's Mike's also. And first, I want to kick things off uh, by talking about a new video game that I just got recently, or new in quotation marks because it's a, a remake of an old video game, uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, the, uh, the new remake of the original two Tony Hawk games. Uh, and when they announced this game a few months back, 
I can't I can't express to you how excited I was, Mike, for whatever reason. <laughs> like, I, I think it's just maybe because it was 2020 and like, you know, I think it was after the pandemic had started that they announced that they were doing this. And it was just like, you know what? This is like the light at the end of the tunnel. I need something good in my life. And Tony Hawk games were such a reliable thing. Uh, I must have played Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 specifically on my N64, you know, for hundreds of hours when I was a kid. You know, I, I loved <laughs> those games so much. Uh, and I feel like the soundtrack to those games especially were like a big part in like cultivating my own taste in music. Music. Like, you know, mm-hmm. a, lot of the, a lot of the bands that I still love today, like Goldfinger and Rage Against the Machine and all these different bands, like they were part of the Tony Hawk soundtracks. Uh, and that's where I kind of started to cultivate that sense of music. So this new remake is those first two games, but, you know, completely redone in HD. Uh, it's developed by Vicarious Visions, who did the uh, the Crash Bandicoot remakes uh, a couple of years ago, I think, at this point, uh, which I recently yeah. played and loved. Uh, and so it's it's the it's the game you remember, but like way better, I think, even because it is just like yeah. like if I went back and played my N64 copy of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. It would probably not look as good to me as I as it did when I was 12. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's like this weird diminishing return thing with uh, graphics where it's like, oh, my God, this looks so real in 1998. Uh, and then you look at it now. You're like, I can't even understand what I'm looking at. What is this? Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, now Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. It's completely done. New HD. And uh, yeah, I am. I've been playing that a lot. Uh, over the last few days and uh, man it has been so much fun especially because again the soundtrack uh, they were able to get most of the songs back from the original two games Uh, so you got Goldfinger you got Rage you got you know Primus and all these different bands but then they also added in a bunch of other new songs too uh, so nice. it's a, so it's a good mix of old and new. Uh, so, I mean, n- now there's like Real Big Fish and Less Than Jake and all these other bands that I'm already into uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, uh, that are on the soundtrack, which is fun. Uh, and yeah, like I was wondering, like just when I started playing it, I was like, OK, this is fun, like kind of skating around doing things. And, you know, there's not like a story to Tony Hawk or anything. It's more just like play a level. You do the goals and then you can you know, do enough goals and you get to the next level and that kind of thing. I was like, all right, I'm enjoying this. I'm not sure like how much it's going to like hold my attention for hours or whatever. And then like, you know, three hours later I had, <laughs> I had like <laughs> forgotten how much time passed and I was like, huh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. So now it's becoming like my game that I play when I have to like kill time to do something else. Like if I'm like waiting yeah. for my girlfriend to get ready or something, uh, you know, I'll, I'll play Tony Hawk for a half hour or whatever. And it's, it's, it's a good like filler game, I guess, to uh, kind of have. Uh, so I'm playing this like simultaneously while I'm playing a Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, which I started a few weeks ago. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 remake. I am uh, completely on board. Two thumbs up. Hell yeah. I do. I did want to pick that up. I haven't gotten around to it. And I do know uh, producer Colin texted me uh, like at midnight Thursday into Friday when it came out that uh, he had taken off the day it came out and was (laughs) pre-downloaded it and like was just played it like forever that whole day. Uh, which is awesome. And I do remember, like, I have that uh, N64 copy, you know, the blue one. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I, I remember bringing it up to college, my N64, with that. And, like, that one specifically got, yeah. like, the most play. Yeah. Where we'd be, like, pre-gaming on a Friday night. Let's, you know, drink some <laughs> beers and take turns playing Tony Hawk. And, yep. like, damn, son. It's still fun. I would love to go back to it. So I am excited to to get into that. Yeah. You, uh, know, you know, on Metacritic, uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 is the second highest rated video game of all time. Uh, what? What's number one? Uh, the Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. Uh, <laughs> that also got a lot of play on yeah. N64. <laughs> it's a classic. It's great. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's Ocarina of Time is one. I think Tony Hawk Two is number two, and then I think Grand Theft Auto Four is number three on the, uh, on the list. Like the top three, like highest rated video games ever, just in terms of like collecting all the different reviews and stuff. Uh, yeah, those, those are the three, which is pretty wild. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, and it's just such a perfect like like you said time waster game. Uh, yes. Not not like not in a bad way, but like. 
you can you can play for half an hour while you got something else to do, or you can accidentally play for ten hours. Uh, like there, there's yep. no in between. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's Tony Hawk's Pro Skater One and Two remakes. I wanted to give that a quick shout out uh, that I've been playing that a lot uh, over the past weekend. Uh, Mike, what you been doing? Uh, I've been watching. Now, that actually, you got me thinking about video games. I forgot. Um, I bought uh, Crusader Kings Three came out on PC. Okay. Uh, and, and I picked that up, and I, I was a big fan of Crusader Kings Two. It's like so. It's basically if anyone's not familiar with Crusader Kings. Uh, it's like a strategy sim simulation game kind of thing where like, yeah. you know, it's set uh, between like 1850 uh, or no, sorry, 850 all the way to I think like 1490 or something like that uh, in the, you know, Europe slash Middle East kind of thing. And you just pick a dynasty. So like you're like, all right, I'm going to play the this petty king in Ireland or something. And you just see how long you can make it basically okay not as that character but like as the bloodline like as the family yeah so you play through all the lives and and you know it's got intrigue and all this crazy stuff and it's a lot of fun and it is absolutely that game i picked it up on i think uh saturday and uh installed it and then i started playing and it was accidentally two in the morning like it's kind of like civ where it's civ where it's like oh i'll just play one more turn except this is in real time so it's like you don't really have any concept of like well i've been playing for three hours like uh, whatever yeah um so civil uh, you know crusader kings three there you go that's very a lot of fun Big, nice. big, big thumbs up if you're into those kind of games. Uh, but as far as movies go, Mike, I watched Jaws on Blu-ray for the first time. Blu-ray uh, on Blu-ray. Yeah, for the I, uh, you've, comma seen, for, you've seen <laughs> you've seen Jaws millions of times, but like the yes. Blu-ray specifically. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a couple weeks ago, I think uh, Amazon must have been doing like this 4K clearance thing because they just dropped the 4K Blu-ray discs down to ten dollars for tons of movies. And I don't have a 4K TV or a 4K Blu-ray player, uh, but all of these things come with a regular standard blu-ray kind of like how blu-ray dvd combo packs were a very common thing yep. you know 4k blu-ray is a it's a common thing right uh, and i figured if if i'm gonna pay the make the dive into buying 4k things that i can't watch yet <laughs> jaws is gonna be the one like i will feel sure. less the least guilty about owning jaws on 4k in a format that i can't watch yep. um and it was 10 bucks so like fuck it yeah uh so i threw the threw the regular blu-ray in and like it honestly it's very strange how much it felt like the first time i'd seen it because it's like it's so crisp and clean and be, like everything looks great. Uh, I don't know. It was very, it was very weird. This kind of surreal experience being like, this feels like a brand new movie, like just looking at it rather than seeing, you know, whatever shitty transfer that they're showing on whatever TNT or, you know, or something like that. Uh, except, you know, we did get to see it on 35 millimeter at the uh, draft house, which was very exciting. Yes. Um, it's just the perfect movie. I don't have anything else to say. I'm just excited that I got to watch it on Blu-ray. And then yeah. even that was that was Friday night, I think. And then even this afternoon before we started recording, I was eating lunch, scanning on TV, and I scanned past it on HBO, and I stopped and watched, like, 20 minutes of it, even though I had seen it two days ago. Because <laughs> um, that, that, that second half, like, once they're on the boat with Quint, like, I really think that the, the like, swashbuckling John Williams score is, like, transcendent, and it's just yeah. so much fun watching them chase the shark on a boat. Man. Jaws is great. Oh, I want to watch Jaws. I'm going to watch Vibes and Jaws today. <laughs> After having just watched them. Yeah, no, it yes. I mean, Jaws, especially, I mean, yeah, what, can, what else can you say about Jaws other than it's basically yeah. perfect? Uh, it's probably my favorite movie ever. Uh, like, I've yeah. seen it so, so many times. Uh, most recently, I, t- I talked about it uh, a few weeks back because I saw it for, as part of Center Field right. Cinema uh, here in Missoula, which is the uh, minor league baseball stadium near my house in Missoula, Montana. They're doing these uh, 
<laughs> these mm-hmm. uh, drive-in sort of movie screenings, and uh, they showed Jaws during like Fourth of July week, and uh, yeah, that was great. That was also my third year in a row seeing Jaws in like a sort of theatrical setting or like with a big yeah. crowd. Uh, because yeah, I saw it with you at the draft house in 35 millimeter, uh, 4th of July weekend. And then a year later around 4th of July weekend, uh, they showed it at the Roxy, the Indy theater near my house in Missoula, Montana. And then this year they showed it at Centerfield cinema. So I've gotten like the full jaws experience three times, which has been really cool. Amazing. Uh, but I, I don't think I've ever actually watched the Blu-ray now that you've mentioned, I do, I do own the Blu-ray, uh, cause I have it on DVD. Like I have the DVD and I've had the DVD since I was a kid. Um, mm-hmm. and then I recently got the Blu-ray because it came as part of like my Steven Spielberg, uh, Steven Spielberg box set that I bought. Uh, so right. it had, which also has like Jurassic Park and E.T. and, you know, a couple other big Spielberg movies. Also, Duel, uh, which is really awesome. <laughs> oh, nice. Yes. And it also has Always, which uh, I've never actually seen before. So it's like it's one of two Spielberg movies I've never seen before, uh, which are Always and The Color Purple. I've also never seen, which is kind of wow. a big kind of a big one. I've heard like kind of mixed things about it, but it's also like kind of hard to find some in some places. Although I think it was on Hulu recently. So one of these days I'm going to going to track that get around to watch it. it but yeah so jaws i do have the blu-ray and just never got around to watching the actual blu-ray but like you i've seen it like ten thousand times it's yeah <laughs> it's, it's so great it's the best yeah yeah i mean it's it's so much fun and i i am excited to get into a lot of the there's a ton of special features on it uh so i you know i think a lot of the the like you know special feature stuff or behind the scenes stories of jaws of kind of just like in the ethos now like yes. everyone knows the shark didn't work and that's why the movie's so good yeah uh, and all that kind of <laughs> stuff but I, I am excited to check it you know, check out some of those documentaries that they got on there very cool all right so that's jaws uh, i've got a few new releases that i wanted to, uh, to talk about mike uh, during discussions this week Ooh, uh, fancy you know 2020 has been a year with very few new releases uh but there have been some kind of trickling out there and now the theaters are uh, reopened in certain parts of the country not in others i know in new york they're still closed it, some movies are coming out and of course the big one this past weekend was tenets the new christopher nolan movie To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War III. I'm not saying I'm getting here. No. Something worse. I gather you have an interest in a certain Russian national. Mike, bring me in. You really want to know? He can communicate with the future. Time travel? No. Inversion? Name it and pull the trigger. You're not shooting the bullet, you're catching it. Oh. I've seen too much. Well, we'll try and keep up. And that was like, it's so weird how much like the theatrical industry has hinged on Tenet. It feels like over the last few months, like this could be the movie that brings them back to theaters or whatever. And, you know, how WB kind of refused to delay it any further, that kind of thing. There's a whole mess of stuff that we've gone into on this podcast before that we don't really need to cover again. But the point is, Tenet is out. I did not go to the theater to see Tenet because I wasn't really uh, comfortable going back there just yet. I went to the drive-in, the uh, the drive-in, which is about an hour away, uh, the Ferroplex drive-in in Hamilton. Uh, they were showing Tenet this weekend, and I was like, well, you know, it's, I'm sure it's not the way Christopher Nolan intended me to see the movie. I'm sure he would have loved it if I saw it, you know, in 70 millimeter on a screen in New York or that, that kind of yeah. thing. But it's better than nothing. You know, like I, I it's a movie I wanted to see and 
it's acceptable conditions. I got a pretty good sound system in my car. So, yeah, I'll go, I'll go with Tenet. Uh, I'll go to the drive in to go see Tenet. And that is what I did. And uh, it's pretty good. Solid. Uh, it's it's not Christopher Nolan's best by any means. Uh, I don't think, you know, it, it, it feels like he's trying to recapture some of that Inception magic. Right. Like Inception right. was such a a weird hit. Right? <laughs> like it's so like thinking back Inception celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. Uh, and I remember Jesus. like when Inception was coming out, like, you know, I, I went to the midnight release of that movie. I was so hyped for it because Christopher Nolan was just coming off the Dark Knight, uh, which was the movie that blew everyone's mind away. You know, it was <laughs> the movie that yeah. destroyed perceptions of like what superhero movies could be. And like everybody loved the Dark Knight. And, you know, we knew Chris Nolan was going to come back for a third Batman movie, but he, you know, made some negotiations and was able to get Inception made before that. And it paid off. Like that movie was such a huge hit and everybody was talking about it that summer and like, you know, all this stuff. And Inception was really, really good too, which helped. Uh, and mm -hmm. so I, I felt like after Inception, Chris Nolan just became like the the guy you know he became the guy who could like get anything made at a studio uh and, yeah. and really he is the only director working on the scale that he's working on with like original ideas uh which is you know really interesting and he has a style that is not to everyone's taste uh but i happen to really like uh so inception was big dark knight rises uh, I like a lot, but, you know, it's not everybody's thing. Uh, Interstellar, I think, is amazing. I think Interstellar is a masterpiece. And then Dunkirk came out a couple of years ago, uh, which was also great. And that was his first time being nominated for Best Picture and stuff. And now he's coming back with this one with Tenet, which is basically a James Bond movie. I mean, <laughs> if you mm -hmm. actually read the plot of Tenet, it's about this uh, Russian madman who's like restarting the Cold War and trying to get World War Three off the ground. Like That's the, the idea <laughs> behind it. Uh, and so John David Washington is uh, teaming up with Robert Pattinson. They're like these secret agents who are working to uh, stop this madman and prevent World War Three, basically. Uh, the twist, there's like a sci-fi twist in the movie because there's got to be. It's this big conceptual idea that is really cool and it's this idea of time inversions it's not really time travel but it's stuff moving backwards through time at the same speed that you are moving forwards through time uh and it gets really confusing really fast uh nice <laughs> and, nice classic know, it, and it is one of those like chris vanilla movies that like involves like this huge big complicated idea and then like half the movie is characters explaining what that idea is because it's really yeah. hard to wrap your mind around uh i think the difference being that like something like Inception, you know, it, there's a lot of explaining and stuff going on. But like if you're paying attention, it's a pretty easy movie to follow. I feel like Tenet isn't as much. It gets really confusing. <laughs> and, mm. you know, there's a lot of like just stuff like that where it's like, OK, I'm, I, I'm sort of following this. I'm not really following this. And like it, at a certain point, you kind of just roll with it. Uh, I did like the movie. I, I liked it. And I think it is, um, you know, I think visually it's pretty stunning and just the way it visualizes the idea of time inversion is really cool. Like, I, I am so on board with that as a concept and the way the movie kind of portrays it. But like, you know, it, it kind of falters in like certain storytelling aspects. It, it is also, I will say, Chris Nolan's funniest movie, maybe like there's a lot of like, <laughs> OK, like, on purpose. Uh, yeah, I think there's like a lot of bits where oh. like, you know, because it's all, because it's an action movie and like John David Washington has like some quips that he throws around and that kind of thing. Like, there's like, you know, some funny moments. And I was like, huh. And I, and I think Christopher Nolan movies like are funnier than people give them credit for. Generally, <laughs> you know, I feel like people portray, yeah. portray him as this humorless, uh, you know, cold man, which I think he is. But like his movies, <laughs> you know, are, you know, there's a lot of layers to his movies that I feel like people um, don't give him credit for sometimes. Uh, but like The Dark Knight's like a funny movie. Like there's like funny stuff in The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I think 
This is actually might be his funniest movie, just like in some of this really quick, dry humor. Uh, John mm-hmm. David Washington's really good as the uh, as the protagonist, which is the character's name. Um, Jesus like, fucking Christ. <laughs> He is called the protagonist. And there's a moment where he says, I am the protagonist. Uh, So that's so pathetic. So that, you know, he is the protagonist. Uh, But Robert Pattinson is so good in the movie, too. He has like this really like if this movie had come out under normal circumstances and and had been a hit like Inception was, I could see this being like the reinvention of Robert Pattinson, like the mainstream eye. Like he's already pretty popular, like in indie circles and stuff now. Uh, but this could be like the stepping stone before he's the Batman. Like it's like this would be the movie. Mm-hmm. That, this would be the movie that would get people on board with Robert Pattinson being Batman. Basically, <laughs> you yeah. Know? I, I sort of saw him as like Tom Hardy in Inception. Actually, like that's sort of his role. Okay, like he's just being that charming movie star guy, and he's really good at it. Elizabeth Becky's in the movie, and she's great. Uh, and Kenneth Branagh is the uh, the Russian madman. Uh, Amazing, <laughs> and he's doing a lot of fun stuff too. Uh, so yeah, it's it, Tenet is good. It's not as good as a lot of other Nolan movies. I think it's probably like my lower tier of Nolan stuff. Uh, but I think it's really interesting. I think it is one of those things where I, I do not recommend going to the theater to go see this movie. But if you can see it in a drive in or something like that, like it's worth checking out. I, I would go see Tenet if like or if you have to go to the theater, you know, in a safe environment, at least like if it's like just you. <laughs> so and, don't go to the theater. <laughs> you know, just you and no one else in the theater. Or there are like countries that have reopened that have basically eradicated the coronavirus in their borders. And like in that case, yeah, True. go for it. If you're in, you know, a European country where it's okay to go to it, fine. But if you're in America, probably not the best idea (laughs) right now. Wouldn't recommend it unless you can do like a private movie rental, which I know like Cinemark is offering for like a hundred bucks a piece. You can just rent a theater and watch a movie, which is pretty good. Uh, That's pretty cool. Yeah. So there are there are options for people to go see it if you really want to. Uh, But there you go. That's Tenet, the new Christopher Nolan movie. And I have actually seen it. And it's a movie that uh, Mike actually can't see because theaters aren't even open in New York. (laughs) In New York, yet, yeah, which uh, I know you wouldn't go to the theater anyway, but uh, if it was at a drive in, you think you would go? Uh, I mean, probably. I'm, I am, I do have tickets uh, to go see uh, Videodrome and The Thing double feature at the drive in that opened, yeah, in like August or something nearby here. Um, and producer Colin's actually making the trip, he's gonna come down and go see oh, everything, nice. so that'll be a a fun little uh, field trip for us to go see two weird as fuck movies that I think will be very fun <laughs> in a drive-in setting. I haven't seen Videodrome ever, so I'm excited oh, to check nice. that out. Yeah. And they also uh, recently, like two days ago or something, made a surprise announcement that Jurassic Park will be playing there this week uh, at the Sweet. drive-in. So I kind of, I might go, I might go. I'm not sure on that one if there's tickets available like that day. Like, yeah, you know, I might, might be like, oh, okay, I'll go see that tonight. But I'm, so that, that'll be fun. It'll be fun. I've never been to a drive-in before either, so I'm excited. For Wait, that. really? <laughs> yeah, they're not a thing down here in 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 the, the civilized parts of New York, you okay. know? So, um, (laughs) uh, yeah, so that'll, that'll be exciting to check that out. And they just reopened it uh, or just opened it in like, uh, I've talked about it before. I think like the museum of the moving image and the New York science museum, it's like kind of partnership, uh, with some museums and stuff. So I'm, I have high hopes for it. Okay, know? crazy. I, I can't believe you've never been to a drive-in before. Where I where I where I grew up in New York, uh, there are like six drive-ins. Like, yeah, <laughs> another thing. They're everywhere in like upstate New York and nowhere in any other part of the country. It's super weird. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we don't have the precious space, Mike, here <laughs> on Long Island. That's true. I guess that that makes sense. But I mean, even when I moved to Montana, you know, I uh, assumed there would be. I guess I didn't assume there would be drive-ins. I wasn't really thinking about it because I, you know, could just go to the theater and stuff. Uh, and you know, the drive-in was always like, you know, it was it wasn't more. It was less about the going to the movie because it was like it's not as good of a 
you know, picture and sound quality experience, but it's more just like hanging yeah. out with your friends and, you know, all that stuff and checking out and watching a movie and maybe drinking some beers or whatever. But like, you know, when I, when I moved to Montana, I discovered there's only two drive-ins in the entire state of Montana, uh, which is a very big state. What? And one of them is like three hours away. One of them is like five hours away. Uh, and then when the pandemic hit, this new drive-in, which is like, it's a basically on the back of a movie theater in uh, in Hamilton. Mm. Uh, they kind of like set it up like a few weeks into the pandemic and they were like, hey, we're opening a drive-in. And... <laughs> That kind yeah. of thing, which, you know, was, which was a great idea. And it has been like, you know, something that people are have been able to go to, uh, you know, people are innovating at least during this time, which is nice. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that is Tenet where Christopher Nolan had a couple other new movies I wanted to talk about as well. Uh, first off is a movie that uh, came out a few months back. I think it was back in like May on video on demand. Uh, and it's actually the new movie from Josh Trank, the uh, director of Chronicle and the Fantastic Four reboot. Uh, Fuck that guy. Yeah. And uh, the movie is called Capone, which is a uh, Al Capone biopic starring Tom Hardy as Capone. And it's pretty good. It's solid. Like it's not it's not <laughs> it, it's weird. Like if you watch it. OK, first of all, I should say Al Capone biopic in like quotation marks, because this is not about like the Al Capone who like rose to be a gangster and that. kind. Of, it's about the last year of Al Capone's life when he is like suffering from syphilis and dementia and like is basically just living with his family in Florida and like basically just like having these like crazy panic attacks and things like that. Like that's all mm-hmm. the movie <laughs> for like interesting an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, and I think it's not a great movie, but it's a big swing. It is. It is one of those things where like, I kind of admire the audacity behind it. Uh, and it's really mm-hmm. interesting to see Josh Trank, you know, come back after doing Fantastic Four, which, you know, booted him from the project and had to rework his stuff. And, you know, because I kind of like, you know, what he was doing with Fantastic Four. Like, if you watch it, like, I kind of like some of the ideas that were under the surface of that movie. It just completely got bungled by the studio and all this stuff. Uh, so it's interesting to see him kind of come back five years later with this super weird ass movie <laughs> that like is completely unmarketable. Like, I, I feel like if this came out in theaters, like it would it would bomb like it would 100 percent would not do well because it's not an Al Capone biopic. It's about like the, right. like, the last year of his life. Uh, but it's another big performance from Tom Hardy, which is always which, which is always welcome. Like he's do, he's great. He's like covered under all this makeup and he's like doing this like really weird, like grizzled old man voice. Like I'm Al Capone like that. And he's, you know, in a <laughs> bathrobe and he's chewing, he's chomping on a carrot and he's like wielding a gold machine gun. And, like he's drunk and like it's. It's wild. It's a it's a wild mm-hmm. performance from Tom Hardy, uh, Linda Cardellini, Kyle MacLachlan there in the movie too. Uh, Matt Dillon also is a, is in this, and it's it's really interesting to watch. Again, it's not like you know if you're going in for an Al Capone biopic, don't expect that. Uh, mm-hmm. But but if you're interested in like just him being like haunted by the sins of his past where he's like reckoning with the idea of like, you know, trying to keep a hold onto his legacy while also like, you know, having these weird like nightmare visions of the people he's killed and things like that. Uh, it's a really interesting movie. Uh, like it's, it's, I, I couldn't really decide whether it was good or bad. It's just, it's really interesting. <laughs> Okay. Uh, It's basically where I was at with Capone. But that came out a few months ago. Uh, This past weekend, another new movie came out on Netflix that I also watched. uh, And it's the new movie uh, written and directed by Charlie Kaufman, uh, which is called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. I mean, they're pretty, but I don't see how it's supposed to make me feel something if there's not a person in them feeling something, if there's not a person in them feeling sad or joyous or whatever other emotion you said. Well... Maybe think of yourself as the person looking out at the scene. You might have to see me in them. 
Well, if you were there, you wouldn't see yourself, right? Well, I would if I looked down. I'm not a ghost. Uh, and have you seen much about this movie, Mike? Uh, no. No, I know it's based on a book, too, right, I think? And I remember yes. my friend uh, who works in publishing saying that, that was this is another one of those, like, this is unfilmable kind of things. So uh, I don't yes. know what any of that means, because I don't know what it's about. Uh, I think this is based on the book, I'm thinking of many things, in the same way that uh, adaptation is, a, is based on The Orchid Thief. Uh, <laughs> Okay, yeah. <laughs> From what I understand, I have not read the book. I don't really know. Uh, but this is really good. I was really into this. Uh, it's the most Charlie Kaufman movie. Uh, I saw some people saying it's his least accessible film, uh, which I think is true. <laughs> you know, and interesting. You know, and Charlie Kaufman has made some pretty unaccessible movies to, uh, to mainstream audiences uh, in the past. He did Snetsky New York uh, and Anomalisa and stuff like that. So I'm thinking of any things is. Uh, a movie that really only has a small cast of characters. Uh, it's about this uh, this woman who's been dating this guy for about six weeks. Uh, she's played by Jesse Buckley, and he's played by Jesse Plemons, uh, who was Todd on Breaking Bad, mm. and, you know, that kind of stuff. And basically they're on a long road trip to his parents' house. And, uh, you know, on the entire road trip, like you're having like, this inner monologue in her head being like, I think I, can, I think I need to break up with him, that kind of thing. But I got to go through this whole, you know, meet his parents thing and then come back and stuff like that. Uh, and the parents are played by David Thewlis and Tony Collette. And they are incredible. They like <laughs> Tony Collette, especially she's winning my best supporting actress Oscar uh, as of this moment. Like, I, I think she is so good in this movie. And honestly, and, you know, it's I don't want to give too much away about the movie because. I honestly don't think I'm able to like, I, I feel like yeah. there's so much stuff going on under the surface and like just the way this plays out, it almost plays out like a David Lynch art film in some ways, but in other mm. ways it plays out like a modern, like psychological horror film. And uh, which sometimes those are the same thing. Uh, yeah. But like the entire, like first, like, half hour to 45 minutes of the movie is just their road trip to his parents' house. And then, you know, they're at the parents' house for a while, maybe like another 45 minutes. And then it's the road trip back. Uh, and <laughs> you know, uh, on the way there, like the stuff starts to seem weird. And when you're at the house, you get these, these weird visions and nightmare fuel and it gets really weird, really fast. Uh, and it's, a really interesting movie and it is Charlie Kaufman. So there's a bit of like the tortured artist thing, but there's also like, you know, this intellectualist stuff and it's like, you know, people don't understand this and all that kind of stuff. It feels like, you know, it's, it's a lot of like self-assessment on his part. Uh, I really dug it. And the ending is like truly amazing. So uh, I'm thinking of ending things directed by Charlie Kaufman on Netflix. Now uh, I highly recommend, I think it's really great. Nice. Yeah. I want to check that out eventually at some point. Uh, I'll get to it. It's uh, that's how I feel. Unfortunately, about a lot of these like high profile Netflix movies. Yeah. Like I still haven't watched Irishman cause it's like, it's I'll it's there. Like I know I'll get to it. Like, and it's not going anywhere, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, and that is a, uh, you know, with the Irishman, especially like I was really glad to be able to see the Irishman in a theater where it was like, you know, it, it just feels like there's less distractions there and you can kind of just settle in and watch the movie. Uh, and I wish I could have done that for this movie because it is very dense. Uh, and mm. it is one of those things where if you like glance at your phone for a second, you can come up and be like, well, I'm lost. <laughs> like, I have no <laughs> idea what's going on. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that is kind of the drawback. So, I mean, yeah, if you're going to watch it, you know, put your phone in the other room or something and just kind of sit, settle in and watch the movie. Uh, maybe I'll use it as a mic makes mic watch just to make you uh, <laughs> yeah. just to make you watch it. <laughs> those are always options now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but all right. So those are the new movies that I wanted to talk about uh, that uh, I watched uh, this past weekend. Mike, what else you've been watching? Uh, I watched, uh, I think, the day after we recorded uh, the episode where you talked about Host, the Shutter original. Uh, the next day, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to watch Host. Yeah. Uh, and this is the the scary Zoom movie, if people ha haven't heard about it. <laughs> um, it's about a group of friends during lockdown in quarantine. Uh 
that decide to get together, hang out on Zoom, and do a seance. One of their friends knows a uh, medium or whatever. Uh, they do a seance over over Zoom, and uh, shenanigans ensue, basically, is the easiest way to describe it. And, uh, yeah, man, like, I was really fucking scared by this movie, which is pretty funny. Like, uh, it's 56 minutes, and just, mwah, it's the new, it is absolutely the new chopping cut gold standard. Yeah. Uh, Chopping mall cut gold standard. More movies should be 56 minutes. You're, you're so obsessed with the, with something being shorter. You're cutting down chopping mall cut into chopping yeah. cut. <laughs> chopping cut. That's right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And it's like, I mean, it's, you know, ultimately like as a, as a like work of art, uh, it's fine. Like, you know, it's, it's a silly jump scare found footage style uh, kind of presentation. I forget what, what was the, the uh, term for this genre now? I forget what there, there is a name for it. There like is screen share. Like screen share movies or like FaceTime movies or whatever it is. Like, yeah, it's, there, there is like an actual term for it. I feel like uh, I think it was Tamor Bekmambetov who coined it. He's the guy who directed uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also Wanted. He did Wanted also, um, but he he mm-hmm. like produced a bunch of these movies like he produced Unfriended, I think. Uh, yeah. And like searching and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's it's something along those lines. I'm going to look it up while you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, I feel like it's a offshoot subgenre of found footage, basically, kind of thing. And, um, yeah, like, I'm not a big fan of that kind of technique in general, but, like, ultimately, I think it really works and serves what this movie is. And I think the the most fascinating or coolest thing about Host is the behind-the-scenes, like, stories about how they had to have makeup artists, like, mail the actors the stuff they would need and then coach them on zoom for how to apply the makeup effects and like they had this whole house that was stunt people happened to be living together so they were able to film all the stunts they needed there and figure out quick edit ways to get in and out of it and stuff like that yep um so i think it's like a kind of a triumph of uh just like you know the will to create art and stuff like that <laughs> even in the in the uh, worst situation where it's just like hey what if we did this and then four months later you have a movie done and out on shutter right and it's got 100 percent on rotten tomatoes or whatever the hell i don't know if it still does uh, but at the time it did and yeah it's really good and it's fun like i said it's 56 minutes it's in and out it does its thing it's scary it's got lots of fun stuff the performances are really good for what they need to be it's host there you go. Uh, Wikipedia calls it a computer screen film or a desktop film. Uh, is, desktop. There you go. That's that's probably what it was. But uh, yeah, there you go. So, yeah, that's host. And uh, that's on Shutter right now. I got a couple of uh, movies here also that I watched over the last couple of weeks. Uh, first off was Death to Smoochie. Hello. You better grow eyes in the back of your fucking head, you horned piece of shit, because I'm not going to sleep until worms are crawling up your foam rubber ass. I'm going on safari, motherfucker. Safari. Ah! Gee whiz. What a day. Uh, which is a, a movie directed by Danny DeVito and uh, was released. Wow, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, Danny DeVito had like a pretty solid directing career for a while. He did. A, he also did Matilda. He was the director of Matilda oh. back in the 90s. I think uh, Throw Mama from the Train, also a, a Danny DeVito mm-hmm. joint. Uh, you know, he hasn't, uh, I don't think he's directed much in a while, but uh, Death to Smoochie was around 2002, kind of bottom of the box office from what I understand. But uh, yeah, this starred Robin Williams, Edward Norton, uh, Catherine Keener, John Stewart is in this movie. Uh, and you know, a few weeks back, uh, I talked about a movie called shakes the 
clown, right? Do you remember yes. when we talked about that? It was the, uh, the Bobby Goldthwait movie, which also had Robin Williams. And that was a movie about this, uh, this clown who got kind of lost out on a children's show hosting gig and was, you know, needed and wanted to get back in the good graces of the network and things like that. That's what Death of Smoochie is about. Also, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just saying if you've ever wanted to see Edward Norton in a purple dinosaur costume singing songs, this is the movie to watch. It's, it's delightful. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, it is a it's a really fun, like dark comedy about like, kind of the seedy underbelly of like the corporatization of like creating a children's show and stuff like that. Robin Williams is like a children's show host who is discovered to be corrupt. He's like taking bribes to allow kids to be on the show, like in the background and things <laughs> like that. Uh, so he gets fired from the network uh, and he like spirals into the, all this alcoholism and stuff. Meanwhile, Edward Norton is like this guy who the network gives a shot to replace Robin Williams. Uh, and he's like this very clean cut guy. He's vegan and things like that. Like he's, you know, that that whole thing, it's like new age, like hippie kind of guy. And so Robin Williams, like on a quest to kill Edward Norton uh, <laughs> during the movie. Amazing. Uh, and yeah, it's a lot of fun. It is a, a really cool, dark comedy. Uh, it's not like it didn't like make me laugh out loud a lot, but it is like one of those things where I was like, I can't believe this movie exists. You know, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things. Uh, and yeah, Catherine Keener and John Stewart are really great in it. And uh, so, yeah, Death to Smoochie, directed by Danny DeVito from uh, 2002. Uh, I wanted to mention that. Also, I uh, I finally broke into my uh, Criterion Collection uh, Blu-ray of my Bruce Lee box set. Uh, yes. So I, yeah. So Criterion put out a new uh, Bruce Lee box set called uh, His Greatest Hits, uh, which has basically all five starring movies uh, for Bruce Lee. Because Bruce Lee had a long career before the seventies, right? Like he was in stuff like kind of as extras or you know as supporting roles and things like that in like Hong Kong, uh, and then he came to America and was in the Green Hornet TV show. And then Mm -hmm. he like broke out big uh, as a leading actor and and was big for like a year or two. And then he died, Uh, which, you know, of course, is tragic and unfortunate. But uh, that is what happened. And so there's really only five Bruce Lee movies, technically four, uh, but because he died like halfway through filming the fifth one. So the fifth one was finished with like, you know, kind of like half used Bruce Lee footage and half other stuff and all that. So uh, so I watched the first movie in the collection. I've I I have seen I had seen two out of the five. I had seen Return of the Dragon uh, or The Way of the Dragon and uh, Enter the Dragon. And so both both those movies are really good. I I, I mean, Enter the Dragon is like kind of like the pinnacle Bruce Lee movie that everyone knows. Uh, the Way of the Dragon, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's Bruce Lee versus Chuck Norris at the end. Uh, and it's oh. wow, it's great. <laughs> Wow. It's really, really, really good. Uh, and so I broke into the box set and I decided to watch the first movie uh, in the uh, collection, which is The Big Boss from 1971. And this is a really interesting movie because you can basically see Bruce Lee becoming a star in real time uh, while you're watching it. Uh, I was watching a lot of the uh, the behind the scenes features and stuff uh, while I watched the movie after I watched the movie, too. Uh, and Bruce Lee, like he gets introduced pretty early on in the movie, but he doesn't really do anything for a long time. He's actually not the protagonist for the first like half of the movie. Uh, wow. He's you know, he's there. And, you know, he's present, uh, but his character is, you know, he is against violence and things like that. He doesn't want to get involved in all these different things. And the plot of the movie is like, I completely forget what it was. That doesn't matter. (laughs) You're there for you're there for the fight sequences. But so this other guy 
is the star of the movie and he's like kind of getting involved. He's getting into fights and stuff. And that character dies about halfway through the movie. And then the rest of the movie is Bruce Lee, like avenging his death. And so you're kind of watching okay. it like in real time where like Bruce Lee is like sort of in the background, like as a supporting player, gradually becoming a bigger part of the movie. And then suddenly he's like the star, like the final fight with Bruce Lee and the bad guy is so good. <laughs> and, uh, and it's really cool. And I guess the way they were nice. doing it, like they had talked about it and like, you know, they, they basically cast two leads in this movie and the idea was like, like when they were making the movie they were like okay so we have two main guys that, and we kind of want both of them to be like the main character in the movie but they can't both be the main character so let's just like film with them for a couple of weeks and then whoever we like more will kill off the other one and then he can be the star <laughs> of the movie <laughs> holy shit <laughs> Uh, and that is exactly what they did for the big boss. And so they liked Bruce Lee more. He became the star of the movie and then the rest was history. I mean, that's that that's crazy right there uh, to me. Um, but yeah, so that is the, wow. uh, the first movie in the other uh, Bruce Lee box sets that uh, Criterion offers. Uh, highly recommend picking that up. It's a really nice box set. It's like next time there's a half off Criterion sale or something. Uh, it is it is well worth it. Yeah, I was even going to ask, do you think that that was like they started with this other guy and then Bruce Lee like became famous and then they were like, Oh shit, let's kill this dude. Uh, so that's really funny that that's like actually kind of what happened. <laughs> yes. Kind of. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there you go. So that's the big boss and death smoochie. Mike, what else have you been watching? Uh, I cracked into uh, some Blu-rays myself. Also, uh, I Ooh. picked up a, uh, but much less slower caliber uh, in terms of movie. Uh, I went with a uh, Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray for 1973's The Severed Arm. And this is a movie that, uh, you know, a lot of these movies, uh, a lot of these Blu-rays for Vinegar Syndrome, like the back will say like a drive-in staple. So I'm just going to take their word for it. I've never heard of this movie. Um, And you've never been to a drive-in, so... Exactly, you know, or <laughs> things like that. Um, but so the plot of uh, this is kind of like a slasher psychological thriller kind of thing. And the plot of this movie is, uh, well, it starts with this guy gets a, a package in the mail and he opens it up and it's a severed arm. Uh, and he's like, whoa, what's happening? And he uh, jumps in the car and drives to a doctor's office. Go to turns out they're like old college buddies. And he's like, well, I got this arm in the mail. And he's like, well, did you tell the police? And they're like, no, I kept it secret. OK, good. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? And then there's like a like literal like harp, like like wavy fade out to a flashback um, um, of this group yeah. of friends. And they're like in a caving uh, adventure, kind of like on a hike. And they like find this mine shaft and they go in and then there's a cave in and they get trapped down in this mine shaft uh, for like weeks, weeks at a time. And they're out of food and they're running out of water. And they're like, OK, we're going to draw straws for somebody's arm. We're going to cut off because we need to eat because we're all going to die if we don't. And uh, this they knock this guy out and they cut his arm off and like literally like axe ka-chunk cuts his arm off. And then somebody <laughs> like, hello, down there. Or, like somebody saves them like the minute, the, like the second they cut this guy's arm off. Yeah. Uh, so they concoct the story about how he broke it in the fall and they had to had they, you know, had to cut his arm off to save his life and all this stuff. Uh, and then, of course, years later, he gets out of the institution he's been in and wants revenge on the people that cut his arm off. And his signature is the severed arm. So, I mean, like it's it's that that's it. That's the movie. You can figure out fill in the other, uh, you know, 80 minutes in your brain because you got it. It's, yeah. uh, you know, there's a group of friends slowly being picked off one by one. Uh, who's, you know, with their arms being cut off and their spouses and their kids and like all this. Stuff. It's fine. It's fun. You know, it'd be a pretty good like hanging out in the background, like, you know, you and your buddies drinking, drinking beer, eating snacks and stuff. 
while this movie is playing. And every now and then right. you look up when the music gets loud because there's a kill coming. <laughs> um, yeah, it's fine. You know, as far as like Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray, it's kind of on par with a lot of some of their stuff. So, yeah, that's that's the severed arm. It's a fun time. I wish it would have been more fun to like watch it, like I said, with a big group of friends. But because of quarantine, you got to watch it alone. So. Yeah, that is unfortunate. One day we'll get back to uh, getting groups together to watch the severed arm. That's the dream. Yes, uh, that is the dream. <laughs> uh, I, got, I got a few more movies to, to get through on my on my list here. Uh, so I'll combine a couple of them. I've uh, been kind of browsing through HBO Max recently because, Mike, you were gracious enough to give me your uh, username and password, uh, which was great. And uh, I can log into that yes. uh, through the PS4. Uh, and HBO Max has a huge collection of Studio Ghibli movies. I think they have almost all of them, actually. Uh, and so they have almost every yeah. movie directed by Hayao Miyazaki. And I've seen some of them now. Uh, a couple of years ago, Hayao Miyazaki was a big blind spot for me because, you know, I hadn't seen any of them. Uh, and and uh, yeah. when I first moved to Missoula, uh, the Roxy Theater, which is the indie theater near my house in Missoula, Montana, happened to be doing a uh, like a Miyazaki month. So they were just showing a bunch of Miyazaki movies like for like, I think for two months, actually. But I got there you know like a month into it uh so mm-hmm. i i got to catch up with some of the movies i had missed uh and because especially because i didn't know anybody had nothing else to do uh so, <laughs> so i was like yeah i'll just watch all these miyazaki movies because that's been like a big like cultural blind spot for me so uh at that point I, wa- I was able to watch kiki's delivery service and spirited away and princess mononoke which is the best one that i've seen anyway uh and Ponyo and uh uh, Porco Rosso. And so I'm kind of using HBO Max now. I'm hoping to kind of catch up with the rest of those Studio Ghibli Miyazaki movies. Uh, and I crossed off a big one on the list uh, recently because I watched My Neighbor Totoro for the first time, Mike, from nice. 1988. Have you ever seen My Neighbor Totoro? I have not. Uh, also, similar situation like you, massive blind spot for Miyazaki. I think the only one I've seen is Howl's Moving Castle. Uh, so I need to I need to uh, also take advantage of that HBO Max uh, thing and watch watch all the other ones. Yeah, it is your account, so <laughs> you totally can. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I've never seen how I've never seen How's Moving Castle. Actually, and that's one that I've wanted to. I think that might be the next one I go through uh, on the list. But uh, My Neighbor Totoro is one that, you know, I have, I have heard about for many, many years. Uh, I had a girlfriend back when I was like 16 who was obsessed with the movie uh, and like, we saw <laughs> Toy Story 3 together. And there's like a Totoro as one of the toys. And she was so excited about it. And I was like, I have no idea what that is. I am I, I, <laughs> not familiar. Uh, but so My Neighbor Totoro from 1988 is just about you know, two young girls who uh, move out to the country, their mom is in the hospital and their dad's kind of taking care of them. Uh, And while they're out in the country, they discover a Totoro and like whatever, like crazy kind of forest spirits that the Totoros uh, embody. And uh, man, it's just fun. It's charming. There's that's, there's not really much going on in the movie. It's not like a plot driven movie by any means. It's just about these two kids hanging out with these forest creatures. And uh, it's a delight. It's, it's really fun. Like the imagination is there. Like the design, the visual level of design for these movies is so incredible in many ways. I mean, especially when I saw, like I saw princess Mononoke in the theater and it completely blew me away. Uh, So, I mean that, that, that is still my favorite. Like that one is just like operating on such a like huge, like otherworldly level. Uh, Mm -hmm. My neighbor Totoro was like a fun little, it's a fun little thing though. And it's, it's very charming and I really enjoyed it. Uh, So yeah, I'm very excited to uh, dig into the rest of the studio Ghibli movies. Uh, But Totoro was definitely, was a solid start to uh, kind of get back into the Miyazaki stuff after I, like I, watched a bunch of them and then I didn't watch any for like two years. So now, so now I'm going to try to dive back in. You're an anime guy now. You did it. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I, I've watched uh, a couple of animes and that makes me an anime guy. <laughs> now. Yep. Uh, at least an anime movie guy. Like I've gotten into some anime movies. I feel like anime TV shows are still like a bridge too far for me at this point. <laughs> Just because a lot of them are very daunting. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. some shows that are like, you know, 50 plus years and each year has like 80 episodes <laughs> to get through or something. And it's just like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of stuff to get through. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, one, one day, one day I'll try to watch like an anime TV show. Uh, you know, I mean, I did, I did watch like, you know, the anime shows when I was a kid, I used to watch like Dragon Ball and stuff back in the mm-hmm, day. So mm-hmm. that, that's, that's something, you know, that, that's like it a counts. mainstream, that's like a mainstream anime show. That was like, you know, something that like everybody watched. It wasn't like something like, I don't know, like Fooly Cooly or something. Uh, which, <laughs> Which I only know about because I like I knew somebody in college who watched it like and was in my room when they were watching it. So like, it seemed cool. Like it seemed like a fun show. But uh, but yeah, there you go. So that's my neighbor Totoro from 1988. And then I also wanted to mention a, a film noir that I watched uh, on TCM like a week or two ago. Uh, and it's called They Drive by Night. Uh, not to be confused with They Live by Night, which is a different movie. Ah. But uh, this came out in 1940, uh, directed by Raul Walsh, uh, Walsh and starring uh, George Raft and Sheridan, Ida Lupino and Humphrey Bogart. And Humphrey Bogart's in this movie like the year before the Maltese Falcon. So he's a supporting character. Humphrey Bogart is not wow. the star of this movie, uh, which is really cool. Like, it's just wild to be watching a movie and like Humphrey Bogart sometimes shows up as opposed to just being the lead of the movie. Uh, yeah. But uh, I loved this movie. I mean, this is really, really good. It's a, a film noir slash kind of like melodrama. Uh, these two brothers, uh, George Raft and Humphrey Bogart, uh, are these guys who are truckers and they're trying to start their own trucking business. Uh, they meet this, you know, woman in a cafe, you know, at one night and she kind of tags along with them. One of them falls in love with the woman. Uh, meanwhile, this other woman played by uh, Anne Sheridan, I think uh, I, I'm mixing up which one was Anne Sheridan and Ada Lupino in my head, but uh, both were very good in the movie. I think it's actually Ada Lupino was the other woman. This she's married to the guy who is the trucker, like the boss of all the truckers. Uh, and she's in love with George Raft, who is in love with this other woman now. Uh, so she, you know, orchestrates this murder for her husband so that she can promote George Rafts into her ranks and she, she can like infiltrate and like seduce him. And it is really terrific. Whoa. I think it does get a little kind of off the rails at the end uh, where it kind of realizes and just like it's like, oh, she was crazy the whole time. Uh, and, like That's it. But like <laughs> but leading up to it is really, really cool. And there's some incredible shots in this movie. There's one that's like going to stay with me where like the woman like leaving like she like drives home with her husband and he's like drunk and he's like asleep in the car and she just leaves the car running. And as she like like leaves like there's this one part of their driveway that they show earlier in the movie that like closes the doors automatically and so she's like walking away and you see the doors close behind her and it's like it's so cool and like the music's swelling nice. it's, it's great it's really cool uh so yeah they drive by night uh really cool film noir that i really hadn't heard much about either uh which is cool and i mean Ida lupino became a film director later. I think she was the only woman to direct a film noir back in the 40s and 50s. Uh, at that point, she directed The Hitchhiker, uh, which I watched in my film noir class back when I was in college. Uh, so it's kind of cool to see her kind of in an acting role here. And uh, yeah, They Drive by Night, 1940. It's, uh, it's very good. That sounds really cool. I, yeah. I bet I would love that movie. I think you would. I think you would be really into it, actually. Uh, all right. What, what else you got, Mike? I think you have what one, one or two more movies on there. Two more. Yeah, two more. The first of the last ones I'll do um, yep. is uh, 1969's The Chairman, directed by uh, Jay Lee Thompson and starring Gregory Peck. 
Okay. Um, Jaylee Thompson, of course, yes. director of uh, St. Ives, the uh, Charles Bronson movie that we covered on the Goldblum podcast. Also, what was it? Happy Birthday to Me, I think was the uh, the movie, the uh, the slasher you covered uh, a while back. Yes. Yeah. Happy Birthday to Me was like the kind of like Canadian giallo thing or whatever it was. Yeah. Right. And the chairman. Uh, here we go. Strap in for the chairman. This is the most 1969 plot of all time. Gregory Peck. Okay. Plays a like a scientist, like a uh, agricultural specialist scientist uh, who has contacts with the like, you know, uh, CIA or whoever the hell, like the State Department, um, you know, kind of thing. Uh, And they find they call him in to analyze that China somehow doubled or tripled their crop yield somehow in in snowy mountaintops. They're growing wheat and it doesn't make any sense. They must have some new (laughs) enzyme. You as a scientist can get into China. Like you can like we're going to fake a like, you know, conference for you to go to or something like that. Get into China steal the enzyme uh and if you can meet chairman mao uh, and you know shenanigans will ensue basically so he goes in there and it's basically it turns out yeah. like a suicide squad plot kind of thing where like they have implanted a transponder behind his ear so that they can hear everything he's saying and hearing at the same time like you know like they, they can without having to be like a radio bug kind of thing then turns out we have a secret meeting between uh, the CIA handler guy and the uh, the MI6 handler guy because Britain. This is so serious. Britain, the UK, US, and and Russia have all teamed up on this one mission. Then you find out that they've there's bomb there also that so like they can detonate this transponder in Gregory Peck's head and it'll yeah. be big enough explosion to kill him and uh, Chairman Mao should they have the chance. Uh, so it's kind of this like you know it's a 1960s you know espionage kind of thing with Gregory Peck where he's kind of just going through China trying to figure out where's this enzyme being made what's the formula how do we get it and there's this kind of like um, fun like underground thing like within the universities of China of people that don't want this that don't want to be under communist rule so I think it also has that very propaganda feel where it's like haha America is good and communism is bad and uh, <laughs> we must look at this look at how weird China is so there's also like this kind of weird like orientalism bent where it's just like a lot of the movie once he gets there is just kind of like look at how strange this place is uh you know like it's kind of the tone um so it is it is kind of odd but like ultimately i think it is it's it's a pretty fun you know it's a 1969 action espionage movie with gregory peck ultimately it's kind of fun where he's just kind of you know one punch knockouts and like all that kind of stuff and he's jumping off buildings and things and and ultimately at the end too it it kind of does take this weird anti-capitalist bent at the end like for a second where like they i mean i'll i'll spoil it because nobody's gonna watch this movie this is a twilight time blu-ray uh (laughs) which i snagged once they were like oh we're going out of business kind of thing they all he gets the enzyme you know he gets out in this kind of big great escape style thing where he's got to get through the barbed wire at the Russian border and their tanks are rolling in and they're going to catch him, you know, kind of like just at the end of Great Escape kind of thing. Yeah. And he gets out and he gets the enzyme and he delivers it to the to the State Department and the State Department guy has this thing about like, well, we're going to use this to save America. And he's like, well, that's the that's for the people that belongs to the people. We can feed the world now. We can have, the, you know, and it's like this kind of critique and he kind of I forget exactly the line, but because he's like a heady science professor guy, he has like this kind of, you know, altruistic uh, take on the State Department's mean and greedy thing. So like right. ultimately at the end, I was kind of shocked that like, you know, this kind of jingoistic movie <laughs> ultimately criticizes uh, the U.S. the U.S. government's, you know, we're just going to take everything for ourselves kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's, it's, it's dumb. It's fun. It's dumb. They try to they try to blow up Chairman Mao with Gregory Peck's head. 
Like, what else do you want? I mean, yeah, that's a movie right there. That's that's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's the chairman. And then uh, what's your other movie, Mike? Uh, my last movie is Sleeping Dogs uh, from 1977, starring Sam Neill in his first leading role. Really? Uh, which is this is actually. Yeah, this is actually very, very incredible. This movie is amazing. Uh, it's from 1977. Like I said, uh, shot in New Zealand. I think I don't remember actually now. Oh no, I feel bad. I'm doing the thing. It's, uh, it's either New Zealand or probably, Australia. I forget. Probably either New Zealand or Australia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of the two, but they're not the same, and I feel bad for not remembering. Um, but yeah. yeah, this is a a uh, Arrow video, Arrow Blu-ray uh, that I picked up, and this is uh, the story. This, this this plot of this movie is Sam Neill and his wife are getting a divorce. And he decides, fuck this. Uh, it's actually pretty funny that it's the same thing as possession, <laughs> or at least as far as that is. But yeah, he he leaves. He goes and rents an island like, you know, that's kind of like in this like small fishing village just off the coast. There's this little island that somebody owns and he, there's a house on it and he rents it out. And that's where he lives. And he's kind of just wants to live out his days on his own in isolation, you know, drinking and like dealing with whatever he's going through. But at the same time on the mainland, uh, there is this kind of like political upheaval going on where there's like you know, uh, I think it's like an oil crisis or something along those lines, like an oil embargo. So nobody has oil gas and it's kind of this whole thing. And then there's like a uh, general strike. So there's work stoppages and like kind of like it's 2020. Like it's very scary to watch this now because uh, yeah. it's the same thing where it's just like civil unrest. And then there is a black flag attack where uh, the police stage an attack on the military dressed as protesters where they start killing military people and then run away. So now the military thinks it's the protesters that have killed them. And it just quickly unravels into this fascist overthrow coup thing between the police and the military and taking over the government. Uh, and it's like, holy shit, it's, this is wild. This is 2020. It's very scary. And then uh, the, yeah. like, so that, I mean, this is kind of like all the setup, uh, the first like 20 minutes or so. And then same Neil on this Island. It's like kind of this army surplus thing where like there are stashes underneath the Island, like, you know, dugouts full of weapons from when the military was there in world war ii and somebody sells him out to the to the military saying oh this guy's a revolutionary look he's got this cache of weapons <laughs> so they arrest him and like he becomes this revolutionary figure even though he's just like it's kind of like clerks where the guy's like i wasn't even supposed to be here man it's that where he's like he's just <laughs> living on his island by himself uh and gets roped into this plot yeah. and it becomes this big like you know the end of it is this big kind of like action shootout kind of thing where he's now has become a revolutionary because he sees what's going on uh and it's, yeah, it's really intense. That's Sleeping Dogs. Uh, it's very good. Highly recommend if you can gra grab it. Uh, there's an Arrow Blu-ray. I don't know if it's available anywhere else. Yeah. And Little Babyface Sam Neill from 1977. That is so great. I am. Uh, I really want to watch that now. Actually, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Speaking of Sam Neill, he and uh, Jeff Goldblum posted a video today. And uh, if you haven't watched it yet, uh, go do that. It is it is really great. It's them like singing on a piano together. Like what more? What more do you want <laughs> out of your wholesome Internet content for yeah. the day? It's just um, what I need. So that's Sleeping Dogs. And then uh, I have a couple of things I wanted to kind of quickly get through. Uh, Got to do my recap for Centerfield Cinema, uh, which is, of course, uh, the uh, minor league baseball stadium near my house in Missoula, Montana. They uh, teamed up with the Roxy Theater, which is the indie theater near my house in Missoula, Montana. And they um, <laughs> are showing movies at the ballpark on the scoreboard where you can go and just kind of hang out and, you know, have a blanket and chairs and, you know, just be on the field while you're watching the movie. It's a good socially distanced way to watch a movie. And over the last few weeks, uh, a few more movies have been added. Uh, I I've been going to every single week, by the way. And uh, yes, I and I've, I'm committed to going to all of them. I think uh, there's a few <laughs> more left through September and then I'll, that'll probably be it. Uh, so for the rest of the month, I got Greece, 
Raiders of the Lost Ark and Clueless as the uh, the lineup for the movies. Uh, but they're also nice. adding a couple of movies uh, for Wednesdays now um, to try to like, squeeze in as much like movies as possible before the season ends. Uh, and so they're adding Shine a Light, the, uh, the Rolling Stones concert uh, film directed by Martin nice. Scorsese. And then uh, Ziggy Stardust and the, Star- and the Spiders from Mars, the, uh, the David Bowie concert film, uh, which I've seen. I actually saw that at the Roxy Theater like last year, but it's so good. I, I will go again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, over the last few weeks, uh, Dirty Dancing was a movie which uh i actually watched for the first time a few months ago uh oh, yeah that's right <laughs> yeah i watched it i watched it and talked about it on this podcast uh and so i went i went again uh and i will say it plays a lot better in a big crowd of people than it does like hat lazily watching it on like abc family during the afternoon uh yeah <laughs> you know i mean especially because this was the rowdiest crowd we have had for any movie <laughs> <laughs> that we've that we've seen for Centerfield Cinema, uh, like every time Patrick Swayze walked on screen, the entire audience like erupted in applause and cheers. Uh, <laughs> like it was pretty great, uh, and so that was a really great experience watching it again. Uh, I feel like I appreciated it more this time around. Um, a because I'd seen it before, and now like I get the crowd experience. I'm like okay, now I see what people react to in the movie and stuff. And so yeah, Dirty Dancing, still solid, still a fun time. Uh, and then the uh, the week after that was Jurassic Park. Uh, which I will be watching again in uh, like two months when we recover it for the Goldblum podcast. <laughs> uh, but for now, I was like, yeah, well, it's coming up. And yeah, I'm going to watch it again because Jurassic Park fucking rocks. Uh, I mean, even just a couple of times this year, it's happened where I've been just watching TV and Jurassic Park has been on. And it's like, well, I'll watch this for a while, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> Jurassic Park, still still a perfect movie. You know, it's the best. I could watch uh, every other, like I could alternate every other day between Jaws and Jurassic Park for the rest of my life and be perfectly satisfied. (laughs) Yeah, it has been, uh, it's been really interesting to watch this summer because like with Centerfield cinema, uh, there have been three movies directed by Steven Spielberg, like in the, uh, in the rotation with jaws, Jurassic park and Raiders coming up in a couple of weeks. And then also two movies produced by Steven Spielberg with uh, back to the future and the Goonies. And it's like, man, like just watching that and like those being like the biggest movies, like you'll see like box office reports where like Jurassic park was the number one movie this weekend because drive-ins were showing it. Uh, and there was no other movies. (laughs) Uh, it's just crazy how like how good Spielberg is at making this kind of like big populist entertainment that everyone loves you know it's Mm -hmm. it's a very rare thing for a filmmaker to be able to do that and uh, consistently do it throughout his career I mean those are those are all different decades you know with uh, with Jaws (laughs) and then Raiders in the 80s and then Jurassic Park in the 90s and he continued to do it through the 2000s and everything I mean that's it's nuts it's crazy how uh, how good these movies are. But yeah, so it's Jurassic Park. And then finally, this past week was a uh, labyrinth uh, at Centerfield Cinema, which I which I kind of nice. felt was a weird choice, but it was a great choice. Uh, like, like, it's a very popular movie, but it's not popular in the way that like Jurassic Park is, you know, where like everybody loves Jurassic Park. Labyrinth's like a bunch of weirdos love Labyrinth, you know, like that's <laughs> kind of the way that audience is built. Uh, that said, I'm one of those weirdos. I actually watched Labyrinth also, for the first time, I think it was last year, like in 2019 at the Roxy, uh, they were showing it there uh, as part of like um, a musicals month or something. But it was also January. So I think it was around the time David Bowie died. So they were showing it then uh, for that reason. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Labyrinth, of course, is the movie starring David Bowie, Jennifer Connelly, uh, directed by Jim Henson and, uh, you know, produced by George Lucas. And it's about, you know, a girl whose uh, little brother is stolen by Jareth, the Goblin King. Uh, played by David Bowie, and she has to wander through this labyrinth in order to find him. And uh, everything in the labyrinth is a Muppet, and it's the best. It's it's David <laughs> Bowie, a bunch of Muppets. What more do you want out of a movie? That's it. That's uh, all the magic words. Have you ever seen Labyrinth, Mike? Um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I have. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm confusing it with Legend in my brain, but I have definitely okay. 
seen <laughs> it at least like in the TNT cut, you know, like one of those kind of things or ABC Family or whatever. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Labyrinth and there was also uh, the Dark Crystal around that same time, too, which is another Jim Henson yeah. movie. And I, I just love that, like, you know, Jim Henson, creator of the Muppets. Uh, and, you know, Sesame Street and things like that was also just like, yeah, like a dark side he had to work out and like was trying to do these mm-hmm. like, really weird fantasy movies with Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. And uh, yeah, I, I had a blast watching Labyrinth, especially with the crowd. It was really good. Uh, so that's what's been happening at Centerfield Cinema. Also, uh, the Roxy Garden has been open over the past few weeks, which I talked about. Also, it's uh, the kind of like small socially distanced outdoor experience behind the Roxy Theater since the Roxy is still closed. And I think I may have talked about Pee Wee's Big Adventure last time we had discussions. I'm not sure, but I did go see Pee Wee's Big Adventure at the Roxy Garden uh, and it's a blast. I hadn't seen that since I was like 10. Uh, and it's it's such a funny like I, I forgot how funny that movie is. Like I was expecting being like, OK, yeah, that's some good Pee Wee you know, yuck yucks or whatever, but, uh, <laughs> but, but like, there's actually like really clever jokes and like, it's really like, it's really consistent throughout. And like, it's, it's basically a series of sketches, but every sketch kills. Uh, and it's so, so good. So yeah, Pee Wee's Big Adventure is great. And then, uh, this past weekend was Days and Confused at the Roxy Garden, which, uh, is nice. also a movie that I can pretty much watch anytime. Like it's, it's so good. And it's, it's a great hangout movie and just hanging out having a couple of beers, watching Days Confused in the, in the theatrical crowd. I mean, it was so nice. And it had been a long time since I've seen it, too. Like, I think the last time I really watched it, like all the way through was probably in college in college at some point, I'm guessing. Uh, So it was nice to get to watch that again, have everybody like kind of like do a small like it was only like 24 people because that's how much the Roxy Garden holds. Uh, So it it was it was fun, like watching the small crowd of people like kind of do a small cheer when Matthew McConaughey shows up. It was like (laughs) it wasn't like Dirty Dancing where like everybody's like erupting in applause. It's more like, hey, that's Matthew McConaughey. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh so yeah, Days Confused. It rocks. Did we watch that after the beer fest or whatever at your house one time? Maybe yeah, we, I don't remember. We watched Everybody Wants Some, uh, which is the ah, spiritual right. sequel to Days Confused that Richard Linklater also directed. Uh yes. which I also love. But uh yeah, that's Day- Days Confused I haven't seen since before then, probably. Uh so yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was that was a couple of years ago. That was at least after 2016, because that's when Everybody Wants Some came out. Yeah, there you go. That's Days mm-hmm. Confused. I also went to a movie trivia at the Roxy Garden too. Uh, where we almost won. We were so close, Mike. I will, I will tell you this. We, uh, we, <sighs> we, uh, we were tied for first place at the end of the fourth round, which was the second to last round. And then the fifth round was movie themes. So they would play like the score Song. from movies, not, not like original songs, like the score for movies. And you would have to guess them. And we did pretty good. Like I, I did fairly well. But like I tripped up uh, on a couple of them. I I, tri- I tripped up on the Top Gun theme, which was the one I, I felt the worst about. But I got like Shaft and I got, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, these other ones. I'm forgetting what else was in. I got the Schindler's List one, which I was very proud of, actually. I got the okay. Schindler's List. Theme. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I got that. I got Shaft. I got uh, Pink Panther, which was, you know, that was a gimme. But still, it was like, you know, there That's- was, you know, there, there was some tough ones in there. Uh, and I managed to get a couple of tough ones, but it wasn't quite good enough. But it was it was even like the person who won wasn't even the guy that we were tied for first against two which was kind of the crazy thing like there was a, <laughs> like we were tied for first at the end of the fourth round and then we came in third that guy came in second and then so the team that was behind us propelled to victory and so i'm pretty sure they were like shazamming the whole uh, every oh, yeah. song that came on they were like we gotta shazam this or something that's that's my internal theory who knows uh what actually happens maybe john williams was on that team oh yeah i mean williams my arch nemesis. But yeah, there you go. So that's uh, that's what we've been doing. That's what our discussions have been. So I think that uh, pretty much brings us to the end of this episode, Mike. Yeah, we can't possibly have more to talk about. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think we're both uh, pretty much out there now. So uh, that brings us to the end. Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And you can find me at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thanks for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith. That's my decree show. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can hit us up at Mike and Mike Go to the Movies at gmail.com. You can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside the totally original Geek News Podcast, which is a podcast about all kinds of comic books and movie news and all that good stuff. Uh, so for our next episode, we'll likely be doing Let's Rank, uh, where we're hoping to get our buddy Vin on here to talk the Fast and the Furious movies. Uh, he actually just watched all of them for the first time. Uh, so I'm eager to, uh, to get his opinions on, uh, on that. So yeah, so uh, if you're down for that, if you're down to travel a quarter mile at a time to rank all the Fast and Furiouses or the Fast and Furii, uh, then we will be doing that <laughs> next week. <laughs> In the meantime, our Jeff Goldblum podcast is weekly. We just released our episode on Vibes. And next week, we're talking Goldblum and Gina Davis together one more time for Earth Girls Are Easy and closing out the 80s while we do it. So looking forward to that. Wow, that's that's I can't believe we're we're plowing through these decades, man. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, it, if we were going at the pace that we were going before with the Nicolas Cage podcast, we would maybe be done with the 70s by now, you know? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and here we are. We're crashing through the 80s and we're barreling right into the 90s. Looking forward to that. And that's the end of this week's episode of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. We'll see you on the other side. Yeah.